Highways Voices, the podcast of Highways News, your one-stop destination for all the news about the highways and transport technology industries, and our must-read daily newsletter. Welcome to the final Highways Voices of 2022, another full year of bringing you some of the finest minds in highways and transport technology on our weekly podcasts. We've been abroad three times during the year as we've taken you to Amsterdam and Intertraffic. We've taken you to the ITS European Congress in Toulouse and the World Congress in Los Angeles. Plus, we've also been on the road bringing you special podcasts from the JCT Traffic Signal Symposium and Highways UK where we were the media partner and the official podcast provider. So I said to you we brought you the finest minds of the industry on Highways Voices this year. We've also brought you Adrian Tatum on each of our programs this year as well. So I thought I'd bring you Adrian as our guest on the final podcast of 2022 to look back on some of the big issues that we've covered on the Highways News website this year and on Highways Voices. So Adrian, uh, welcome along for a slightly longer contribution to our programme this week on Highways Voices because I'm interested in the sheer amount of news that you've reported on through the year. What you think the main themes that uh, have been key to the industry over the last year as we've covered on highways news well i think the first thing to say is it's been a a fairly positive year for the sector highways and transport in terms of the stories we've covered there's there's obviously been a a vast amount as we uh as we go out we go out daily and 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 things things change as you know in this industry at at a very um fast pace it's interesting to see there's been a been a number of as there are every year, but there's been a number of highway maintenance contracts awarded from councils to contractors. And there seems to be a lot more focus on innovation and and working differently in terms of highway maintenance in in particular. There's been more of a kind of shift of thinking from reactive maintenance to proactive maintenance. So trying to produce a road surface that is protected and preserved. So to stop those potholes fully forming in the first place which is which is the ultimate aim that's very difficult because local authorities don't have a lot of funding we're halfway through a three-year funding cycle so there's not going to be any more money for another year and a half two years at at least we'd expect to see a bit more before the election whenever that's going to be but certainly obviously we know by by 2024 um but but you know nevertheless councils are working smarter they are trying to uh, be more proactive more innovative um, in their approach and, and I think then just looking at transport it's been a been another year for those involved with producing um active travel cycle lanes there's been more cycle lanes been been put in more temporary ones turned into permanent more investment in cycle lanes uh, and more investment in public transport again which is always very difficult to balance how much we spend as a nation on producing new roads and how much we spend on public transport. And obviously there's always going to be this argument over whether we invest in, whether we balance out more public transport and we get people out of their cars and onto public transport, therefore obviously reducing emissions, which is what as a country we're trying to do overall. That's very difficult. The car's very convenient. Those 
one to three mile journeys that we want to try and get people out of the car and to walk to get to cycle or to public transport it's very convenient just to get in your car and go down the shop and and come back again if we want to invest if we want people to use public transport more we need to invest in it more that's starting to happen. We've seen a lot of investment in green buses, in electro electrofitted buses this year by a number of the bus companies and, and public transport operators. Again, that's kind of against the backdrop of uncertainty for funding. You know, many councils are actually cutting bus routes, not adding to them because, because of funding again. But we are seeing a shift in cities and towns towards public transport, towards alternative modes of travel. Obviously, as you know, Paul, we've covered e-scooters quite a lot this year. There's still trials going on in various parts of the, the country. Sadly, there's still incidents happening um, where people are getting injured, but, the, but we need to try and work out what the balance of that is between how many injuries there are and, and what, the, what the positive benefits have been in these trials. So we, we need to keep an open mind on that. And of course, as you would know from your from your travels uh, to the world and ITS European Congresses, the, the the technology is still coming, the innovation is still coming. Um, you know, producing things like like video analytics to help us understand data into effective decisions, and in a way that councils can use use that data, because of course they are very constricted in in the ways that they can not only procure these these items these these concepts and services but also how they can use them and how how they can use that data it's very important that we have um innovation in this industry that enables local authorities and road operators to use that those products and services very very quickly and very effectively to to help turn those data into decisions i want to go back on what you were talking about about active travel because there were a couple of interesting things that we ran on uh, highways voices this year that you've reminded me of we had the comments from chris boardman who's interim head of active travel england on uh, trying to get more people cycling and walking and basically saying that if you look at the dutch and you go to the netherlands you think they they always cycle and they always have, but actually they made a conscious decision nigh on 50 years ago to go away from the car and onto cycling. But you've got to have the trust in being able to let your eight or nine year old get on the bicycle and cycle to school on their own without worrying about the fact that they're going to be safe on the roads. And certainly I remember back to when my children were that age, I wouldn't have been comfortable letting them cycle to school on their own. And they only had to cycle three quarters of a mile from where we live to the village school. But even though it's a 30 mile an hour limit, cars go so much faster. It just wasn't safe. I thought Chris Boardman's comments were particularly interesting. And also Paul Campion's of TRL, who said that actually, if you stop and think about the funding of active travel, that shouldn't really be coming out of the transport budget. That should be coming out of the health budget. Because if we had a holistic view of spending taxpayers' money, then we would say, right, let's take some of the health budget. Let's encourage walking and cycling and making it safer and easier and more convenient for people. And then that will have a knock-on effect on the fact that we'll have fewer people with diabetes with other weight and exercise related problems and the country will not only be fitter and greener but will also be healthier i think on your on your first point on safety i mean i've got a 12 year old and i'd much rather he walks to school now 
um, on his own. Now he's now he's um, at senior school than than cycle. Uh, and again, it's not far. It's ten minutes, but it is on the main road. It would be on the main road. And I, I think it's not like if you go back to it when you learn to drive, the driving instructor would would often say. Well, certainly to me, the biggest thing I learned was it's not what you do as a driver, it's what the other people are doing. And that's what you need to kind of kind of be aware of. And <clears throat> that goes back to you know, conversations we've had in the past about whether smart motorways are safe, Paul. And, <laughs> you know, yes, actually, statistically, they are relatively safe. The motorway network is only 3% of the road network. So 97% are local roads. Far more accidents happen on local roads than they do on smart motorway. But of course, uh, because the smart motorways are is relatively new technology, um, that's why the focus is always on them. But whether it's a smart motorway, a normal motorway, an A and B road, a country lane, there's always going to be that element of risk, and and it's very difficult. It's very difficult to manage that risk and be safe everywhere. You can implement safety measures in certain places, but you can't implement them everywhere. And you know, it's the place that you don't implement when when the accident happens. And of course, it's it's very difficult to manage. But I, I think. Again, you know, there used to be road safety budgets 10 years ago, um, specifically for road safety schemes. There isn't any more. Most of that budget now comes from a highways and transport kind of bigger, bigger budget. And so we're, we're talking about a, um, a much lower slice of the of the cake, as it as it were. So it, it's very it's very difficult to, to predict what's going to happen with road safety in the future. There's certainly a number of organisations fighting the cause for road safety. The Road Safety Foundation, for example, has done a lot of good work with local authorities, understanding where accidents happen, what we should be doing about it. That mixture of education, um, ro- road safety measures actually implemented on the, on the infrastructure as part of that. In terms of active travel, uh, it's not just about building the cycleways. You've got to maintain them and you've got to make sure that, you know, the surface of, of that cycle lane is is pothole free and that's very difficult because you can't just put cycle lanes on good roads they cycle lanes need to be planned um to connect main roads with a and b roads and and vice versa across cities and towns so you're always going to be cycling on on roads that have got potholes that have got cracks in that potentially could be dangerous so it's, it's very difficult i don't think we're ever going to have this utopia where everything is perfect it's about managing what we've got but certainly you know, one thing that's missing from the active travel piece is, yes, they the government have invested in money to build them, but now they need to invest in money to actually maintain them for the longer term. If we want, if we want people to have the confidence to go on them, you know, we they've got to be safe and interconnected. I think we've got the interconnection right. We thought about the planning and the joining up of them, and how cycle lanes could connect cities with towns and even cities with other cities. But I don't think we thought about how we're going to maintain them long term and, and, and what that means. I think a lot of what you were talking about there, Adrian, is is about perception and perception being reality that where you talked about smart motorways, actually smart motorways are safe. But if the news constantly is telling people that they're not, then it really comes back to the industry to get the right message across because no one else is going to do it. So I think we need to do it ourselves as an industry and get ahead of people and get people realizing uh, that what we're doing are good things. I mean, there's a great example of a story we ran nigh on a year ago. I'm trying to remember the exact facts, but it was about average speed cameras. And the stats said that average speed cameras 
cut the number of fatal and serious collisions on a road by 50%. And it was independent research that was done that was statistically significant. So, you know, it didn't happen by coincidence. The only way it could happen was you put cameras in and the number of fatal and serious collisions went down. Well, the industry should be shouting about that because we ran a story only this week on Highways News about a new set of average speed cameras in Coventry. You go on the local newspaper website and you look at the comments underneath the article about it and those comments are all oh well it's only revenue generating and it's it's there to just catch people to get money and and it's the surveillance state and there is still this belief here that that's what people are putting speed cameras in for and there are so many examples of this you know the same as we saw with low traffic neighborhoods and i'm not going to go into whether or not low low traffic neighborhoods were implemented in the right way and whether they could have been implemented better i'm sure everyone would agree they could have been but the idea behind them is not just to punish the driver as people seem to uh, to think but it's getting the right perception across and the industry really ought to be taking that seriously not just talking to each other on sites like ours and talking at events like Highways UK where we all stand up and tell each other how clever we are, but actually going out and engaging with the travelling public who are our customers. Yeah, so there's there's a couple of things there. One, unfortunately, there's a mentality of local papers to to run negative stories about what the council is doing um, because you know, they believe that people will always question that because they pay their council tax and they would be right in that. The second part, if the industry doesn't tell local newspaper or whoever it is, the important work they're doing, the local newspaper will always cover the bad stuff and never the good stuff. And, you know, with regard to speed cameras, it is true. Yes, they collect collect money from fines. But what people in the public don't understand is that actually that money has to be reinvested in the transport, the transport system in that particular area. So no, no camera, whatever type it is, or similar, is making a profit for the council. It's making money from fines, but that that money is used to be reinvested into the into the road network or the transport system. But obviously, people don't understand that. As you said, it's about that perception. That the perception is councils are making money off me every time I speed by charging me a fine, and that's wrong. And, and ultimately, if people were to understand that actually that's that's going into to making your road better or the road safer or the school street outside your kid's school safer, then they would perhaps understand a bit more. We're still struggling as an industry to en- to engage in the right way. To but there's been a lot more positive news stories this year. I've noticed we talked earlier about those that proactive approach to highway maintenance. I've noticed that actually. The councils put that news out themselves and the fact they were doing it um, and why they were doing it so that we not only understand in the media what we're doing, we can report it. But actually, when that story goes into a local newspaper, um, it's explained why that work is being done. So there's a lot of misconception. Again, it's about going back to that perception about uh, why why do we treat the roads in good condition when we should be treating the roads in bad condition? Well, actually... If you treat the roads in good condition, then they won't turn into those those, those bad 
those roads in, in a really bad condition. So it's about protecting and, and preserving those roads. And if you do that, you will be spending actually less money on those bad roads because they won't get bad. They won't get in a bad state so quickly. So I think once that's explained to the public, they understand and they understand that's a good use of money. But if it isn't explained and you go you go and do something and you don't explain why you're doing it, 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 it it's often misunderstood. And, it, you know, it goes back to, I think there's been a lot of talk around road worker safety in the last couple of years and road worker abuse. No abuse is acceptable, but I believe that a lot of the abuse happens because people don't understand why those roadworks are there and why they're there for so long. And they don't understand that actually that the, these gangs of workers work in shift patterns. So there will be times when they drive past and they don't see anyone working there. And there's a reason for that, because they might have been working through the night um, and they're not working through the day. So but there's little things we can do as an industry to help with that, you know, We've got often you see signs that say this, this these roadworks are going to take 12 weeks. Well, why not have the reverse of that? Why not have a sign that says that counts down rather than up? So every time you drive past, it, you know that you're getting nearer to the end date of those roadworks. Therefore, you're more likely to calm people down and they understand why those roadworks are there. They understand the roadworks have got to be there to improve the road for them that they travel on every day. And I still think and we're getting better as, better as an industry, but I still think we need to improve on those things. Um, like you said, it's not about industry to industry. I think we're getting quite good at that. It's, it's industry to public to really understand why we're there and and, um, and and what the people that we put to work on those roads are actually doing. And I think the final thing I was sort of noted down to just pick up on is uh, I've seen far more TV commercials in the last few weeks than I would normally see because... Uh, the World Cup's been on the telly, and so I've not been able to fast forward through the adverts as I normally would. And it's interesting the the number of car ads and the fact that you never now see a car ad that isn't for an electric vehicle. But I do wonder whether or not when we're still being warned of potential blackouts this winter and people being advised to uh, get their smart meters so maybe they'll be paid to not operate certain electrical equipment in their house at certain times, whether or not the infrastructure that we have is keeping pace with the appetite for electric vehicles i think the appetite for electric vehicles is still going to continue i think people realize that actually it's still going to be cheaper to charge their car in the in the long term at home or, or at the office than it is to continue to put diesel and petrol in the car i think people are becoming more environmentally conscious um i don't think it's their first choice but i think it's it's factored in where, where they can and um Electric cars are keeping up with with technology and they obviously have all the technology that any other car would have in them. They're more efficient as, as a result. The jury's perhaps still out long term. I think some manufacturers, you know, when, when the battery runs out, you it's quite expensive. So what, what do you do then? Um, will there be lots of cars abandoned at that point because people can't afford to replace the the battery. There needs to be some more joined up thinking because I think if we want to get to net zero by 2050, then we've got to do more of this stuff. Um, but at the same time, if people can't afford to charge their electric cars, then they're not going to be convinced to buy one or they might wait to see what happens. And, you know, there's still a lot of uncertainty what's going to happen. I mean, we're in the middle of a really, really cold snap now. You know, unfortunately, there, 
there are people in the country there's far too many people in the country that are choosing between heating and eating which is which is wrong but that you know are those you know are more and more of those people are are facing those questions every day and so therefore are they really going to be up for buying an electric car next time they invest in one potentially um but i think i think it's good for the industry and of course when we look towards driverless cars then they will be electric and they will be charged and they will be operated in, in a similar way, whether they've got someone driving them or not driving them. So I think long term, it's, it's here to stay. It, it's how we manage it and how we how we join up those thinkings, like you said before, you know, we how, how we join up those thinking at the top level of government between transport and health and environment. Uh, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure that the way the way government operates at the moment, I'm not, I'm not sure that we're going to get there anytime soon. I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done for them to be working kind of cross departmental like, like that. I think they're still very much siloed like anything, whether it's health, social care, it, it needs to be joined up thinking. And, you know, the people that are running the, the department of transport need to be talking to DEFRA and they need to be talking to the department of health. And I don't think we're quite in the space to have those joined up conversations yet. We could certainly talk about even looking at solutions that have road safety and environmental benefits, but the two, one on their own probably isn't enough, but the two together probably is enough to invest in it. But how do you get the people within road safety and, um, environment to talk to each other you mentioned driverless cars we haven't even touched on uh the potential for probably more pods and we adrian you and i have a long history of keeping an eye on what's going on in scotland and the driverless bus uh service that'll hit uh this bridge over the river forth next year we'll keep an eye on that one there's so much more that we could have talked about in this little summary but i just thought i wanted to talk about some of the key things that uh really caught your eye so that's it for this year but what it means basically adrian is we're not in for a quieter a year next year it's going to remain extremely busy um and plenty for us to write and talk about yeah i mean the good thing what about what we do in this industry is that it, as i said at the beginning it changes at such a, a fast pace there's always lots going on perfect platform really for for our daily newsletter and that daily newsletter will come to your inbox every working day of 2023 at lunchtimes if you sign up at highways-news.com adrian and i have plenty of other exciting ideas to expand highways news through 2023 join us on that journey but for now that's it for us on this highways voices as adrian and i have mused our way through some of the key issues facing the industry we could have talked for hours mate to be honest but uh, that'll do it for now and it just leaves adrian and me to thank you for listening to highways voices through this year and to wish you an extremely happy christmas and new year highways voices in association with partner organizations adept the transport technology forum its uk and elkrig